I asked our guest, Rich Rebar, to pound the table for someone. Rich, who you pounded the table for? I, I wanted to keep it with the theme of the show, so I guess I will, you know, take a quarterback here. And, uh, you know, there are quarterbacks I have ranked higher and would still take ahead of him, but uh, the guy I do want to bang the table for is Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, last year, you know, Russell Wilson kind of left a lot of people wondering if, like, his days as, like, a QB1 might be numbered, but there are some things under the hood of Russell Wilson outside of this move here that were still really strong. I mean, first of all, uh, he was fourth in passing points per attempt. Only Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burr, and Matthew Stafford had more than him. Uh, there will be more pass attempts to be had just based on play volume naturally going up in Denver. It just won't be as bad as it was in Seattle, which was almost a historic low. Then you get just the off um, the offensive climate change, you know, for Russell Wilson. He's going from an offensive line that was 30th in the NFL and pressure rate allowed uh, to a team that was, you know, 16th in the NFL and ESPN's pass block win metric a year ago at pro football focus. The uh, Denver was ninth in pass blocking grade as well. So just massive upgrade there. And while he doesn't have DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett in terms of individual talents, the overall whole of this offense is just a lot more talented. Uh, we unfortunately lost Tim Patrick along the way, but the wide receiver core uh, is deep. The tight ends are have uh, some athleticism and talent here. We don't really know what uh, Albert Okwebunam and, and Greg Dolcich really have to offer, but we know that there's some some terms of athleticism and talent there. And then the running backs are just are, are, are better here than what he had in Seattle. So overall, the hole here is really strong for Russell Wilson on the peripherals. And then on top of that all, he has our top-ranked passing schedule at Sharp Football Analysis entering the 2022 season. Uh, against bottom 10 pass defenses a year ago, Russell Wilson was phenomenal too. Uh, even last year, 8.4 8 yards per pass attempt, 2.3 passing touchdowns per game. Uh, just just really out of the blocks great here. The opening month looks great. The playoff schedule is filled with real good teams that have shootout potential. So I'm going with Russell Wilson. Unfortunately, the one hang up with him that separates him from the elite tier that I'm sure we're going to talk about is turning 34 years old this November. We can no longer count on him in the dual threat Konami, you know, bucket of guys at the top. I, I'm excited. I'm with you. You know, unleash him and get him behind some actual protection for what seems like the first time in his career. I'm on board. Uh, listeners, make sure you listen to Rich and go get you some Russell Wilson. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your host, Brandon Niles. I'm writing solo this week for a bonus team app episode. Uh, we're going to talk super flex draft strategy. I'm super pumped to be joined by the venerable Rich Rebar uh, to help everyone prep for another draft season. Rich, thank you so much for joining me. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. You know, I don't get asked to come on a lot of, you know, QB shows where we just talk about quarterbacks because it's kind of like the, the the stepchild of fantasy positions. <laughs> but, you know, super flex leagues and their popularity, you know, expanding these last couple of years. And we're going to get into a good reasons why that's that's happened. Uh, you know, it's really made the position kind of, you know, open and fun again, uh, as opposed to kind of what's happened here recently in one quarterback leagues. It's, it's nice to value the position a little bit. I I've gotten to the point where I'm almost exclusively super flex or even two quarterback, uh, or even triple flex leagues, which we could talk about too. Uh, but, uh, be sure to follow rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves, uh, check out all his phenomenal content over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Uh, we're going to talk all that super flex draft strategy this, uh, this week, but, I, I wanted to ask you, since you're 
the Konami code guy. When I think of Konami code, I think of you. Uh, I wanted to ask you, it seems like there's more and more dual threat options to pick from. It seems like that's becoming a, a more prominent aspect. Even guys like Daniel Jones and, and those types of, uh, of players down far down the rankings offer a little bit of that rushing upside. Uh, is it just me or is that true? Are there more options now? I mean, there are definitely more than a decade ago. It hasn't just completely filled the position, which still gives us a little leverage. But I think it's just inherently, you know, just human beings, right? Like the dude delivering your Amazon package is like, it was probably running like a, you know, biathlon or something this weekend. Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, they're just a better athletes playing quarterbacks than, you know, when we were young, you know, and I, I'm, you know, I grew up in the 80s, you know, and like, uh, they're just a lot better athletes playing position everywhere. Like punters are great athletes now if you see these guys at the combine. Uh, so even last year where we did have a dip in terms of output across the board for quarterbacks, just because it wasn't as high of a scoring season as it was in 2020, which kind of had some weird pandemic-y things kind of cooked into like some of the environments. Uh, we still saw quarterbacks last year post their highest rate of league-wide carries, a high share of designed runs, rushing yardage, rushing touchdowns, and rushing fantasy points uh, per game in every NFL season NFL history outside of 2020. So we're still up there. Uh, 11 quarterbacks still averaged over four rushing points per game, which is the equivalent of a passing touchdown in general standard scoring leagues. Eight averaged five or more rushing points per game in 2020. Those arbitrary numbers were 10 and eight. Uh, so we still have a, a large section of the field that's not getting to those levels, but definitely we're seeing more runners and more athletes play the position. And these guys that are coming into the league, I mean, even though this class wasn't really regarded and we only had one first round quarterback this year, look at all the guys. They were all athletes though. Kenny Pickett had rushing production. Malik Willis obviously had a bunch of rushing production. Desmond Ritter is mobile. And you saw what he did for in terms of like, athleticism score and what he did um, at the comment. And Sam Howell can run too. He's He didn't really run a lot his first three years at North Carolina, but then you know, did last year when all his receivers went away. And we've seen him run in the preseason a lot too. So I just think it's just, we're seeing a lot more athletes play every position and that just has now gotten to quarterbacks as well. That makes sense. It seems like kind of gone are the days of like, uh, you know, famous baseball players and basketball players and football players talking about drinking and smoking all night the night before. Instead, you see LeBron James stacking on almonds uh, when he's watching practice. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just really take care of themselves. Uh, let's quickly uh, address Alpha 1102. Thank you for watching the live stream. Uh, talking about Joe Mixon. Uh, I like Joe Mixon at the end of the first round. I'm okay with that. Not in super flex formats. I'm probably uh, looking at quarterback there. But Rich, uh, what do you think about starting your draft off with Mixon Saquon or Jefferson Saquon, as Alpha's asking? I mean, I, I love Jefferson Saquon. That's very appealing to me. In general, Mixon, I'm very positive. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I'm real positive, because while everyone has highlighted the Bengals additions to the offensive line being a major plus for Joe Burrow, who was sacked the second most times per game, you know, after the Bears quarterbacks. Uh, you look at how teams, I believe, are going to attack the Bengals this year and try to slow them down. And we saw this happen in the postseason towards the end of the year when teams got religion on just not letting Jamar Chase destroy them. All he still, still did get the Chiefs later in the year is they're going to be a team that ends up seeing a lot of this, like, you know, two high safeties, a lot of cover coverage over the top where teams just really aren't going to let you know, those two receivers beat them. And when you give that already paired with Joe Mixon, who led the NFL in carries with six or fewer defenders in the box already inherently, because this is a 11 personnel team. Now this offensive line is going to be a huge factor in that. So you're going to get a lot of light boxes, two high looks, and then the offensive line upgrades for Joe Mixon in the run game. Now it's hard to say a guy that scored 16 touchdowns is really going to be able to build on that, you know, coming into next year. But I do believe the way teams are going to approach attacking the Bengals, 
plus the offensive line additions are going to be a major boon for Joe Mixon this year. Excellent, excellent. So uh, Dub Key asked about late round or cheap quarterbacks. We're going to get to that. We'll get to some mm-hmm. sleeper quarterbacks. Uh, if you want to go out and start drafting and consider Joe Mixon or consider Justin Jefferson, uh, as a reminder, don't forget, Underdog Fantasy, easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. Uh, I've been enjoying multiple entries into their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Uh, I think I have 11 going right now. I, it's a problem. Uh, there's $10 million in total prize money, $2 million to the number one winner, the champion of Best Ball Mania 3. Uh, it's Best Ball. So no trades, no waivers, no in-season management. It's nice and easy. You just draft, and Underdog Fantasy gives you the best scores every week automatically. High scores at the end of the year, wins, uh, and it's never too early to draft. You know, the, the there's no more anxiously waiting for draft day before the season starts. I love to draft. I love to practice drafting. There's lots of different options for drafting over at Underdog Fantasy. Uh, anywhere from $3 entries to way, way high uh, dollar entries, if that's your thing. Uh, so uh, remember, last year's Best Ball Mania champion drafted the winning team in June. So don't hesitate. You can go out and do that. Get your first deposit matched up to $100 when you sign up using promo code 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4. And that'll get you one, two, three, four free entries into Best Ball Mania. So visit 4for4.com slash underdog for full details and go draft your Best Ball Mania 3 teams today. All right, Rich, I want to do a little icebreaker segment. Uh, just kind of quick. Who'd you rather kind of things? I, I grabbed some quarterbacks with similar ADP, and I'm just curious, uh, thinking super flex, right? Uh, who'd you rather between these two guys since it, since they cost about the same? Number one, Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson. These are usually the two next guys off the board after the uh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. So Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson, who you got? Uh, pretty str- strongly and vehemently in favor of Justin Herbert here. Uh, you know, you, you talk about just what he did last year. I mean, he, he ripped off, you know, 12 QB one scoring weeks last year, eight top six scoring weeks. He gives you a little touch of the Konami 3.6 and 2.8 rushing points. Uh, his first two seasons in the league, he's the first quarterback ever to start his career at 30 plus passing touchdowns. And he plays for the most aggressive head coach in the league. And we love that. We like our coaches to want to score touchdowns. And he has one of our best schedules, you know, layout wise. Uh, he's a, he is an opening month of the Raiders, Chiefs, Jaguars, and Texans. They face just six defenses that were in the front half of the league in passing efficiency and explosive plays allowed a year ago. So I like Herbert. Lamar Jackson, and it hurts me to say this because my brand, he's probably my least favorite of the top tier quarterbacks at ADP. Uh, so I almost never get him. Uh you, he is the worst receiving core of the top tier quarterbacks. He has the worst schedule of the top tier quarterbacks by far. Um, you look at, he has that great week one against the Jets that looks good, but then, you know, Miami, the Patriots, Buffalo, Cincinnati the next month. He also has the Buccaneers, the Browns, and Saints prior to his bye. Uh, for his career against top 10 pass defense, he's only averaged 6.1 yards for pass attempt. Uh, you know, you hit the rushing floor, but that's what we are getting from Lamar Jackson last year. Like where's the ceiling gone? How much are we going to just keep investing into 2019 as a really within his range of outcomes? Because he had nine top three scoring weeks in 2019. He's had just four since in the last few years. So I think he's more of a floor based player, but he's still being drafted as kind of a, a ceiling based player. I don't love his weapons. I think when you just look at, Lamar Jackson, I know that you said quick fire, but this is me. So what we're doing. This no, no, I'm, but, just, uh, I'm just seeing Rashad Bateman Twitter just coming at you now at this point. It's I, like- think, I, mean, it's, I think Bateman's still fine. It doesn't hurt him really a ton. But I think when you look at Lamar Jackson, he looks very similar 
to Jalen Hurts in terms of what you're getting for fantasy. And everything for Jalen Hurts is better. The offensive line's better. The pass catchers are better. And the schedule's better. Okay. So, I mean, and he's cheaper. And you can get him typically the last of the frontier, what I can consider the frontier quarterbacks. You know, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray, those six guys. Typically, Hurts is the last guy to go, and that's kind of the tier break for me, and we'll get into why I think that tier break exists in a little bit. But I just outright prefer Hurts to Lamar Jackson this year, and you get him cheaper. Okay, so I think you just answered this. My number two is Jalen Hurts or Trey Lance. So uh, I've heard what you love about Jalen Hurts. So uh, Trey Lance is going right around the same time as Jalen Hurts at this point. His ADP has risen pretty significantly. Uh, What do you think of Trey Lance? Uh, It sounds like you prefer Hurts. I mean, I do prefer Hurts, but I mean, obviously Lance is more of the guy when you look at where these breakouts have come from, where where gamers have had like one foot in, but still one foot out. You know, Lamar Jackson in 2019, Josh Allen in 2020, Jalen Hurts a year ago. These are the guys going at like that QB, like nine to 13 range and like drafts, a little variance. People want to believe because they know rushing is important now, but then they're like, ooh, this dude might not be good. Uh, You know, so he kind of gets freezed in like that kind of area of the draft. And that's kind of where Lance is right now. The interesting thing about Lance is when you look at all of those guys that, that blew up those years, Lance probably objectively has like the most like, foundation and structure built around him like maybe you could say Lamar uh with the Ravens but you know from like a top-down organizational stance like the 49ers have a lot in place to make you feel really good about you know Trey Lance's insulation he's got George Kittle he's got Debo Samuel he's got Brandon Ayuk uh the offensive line still like it's taken some hits this offseason but it looks like Aaron Banks is going to be a positive starter still a good left side we'll see from middle to right you know what happens uh, and we know that the run game is always going to be there and the run scheme is going to be here. So we saw Lance, you know, flirt with, you know, on his limited play. He led all quarterbacks outside of Taysom Hill in points per drop back last year in the very limited sample that we had him. And I mean, he threw just two fewer touchdown passes last year than Justin Fields and Justin Fields had 200 more pass attempts and he threw just four fewer than Zach Wilson at 140 more pass attempts. So, I mean, there is still uh, a high ceiling here for Lance, too. Uh, he would be a guy that, you know, I'm definitely looking to get, like, when I have to go to, like, that back-end range of QB1. He, he's he been somebody I've been targeting when he slips. When he slips, mm-hmm. and I haven't gone quarterback yet over an over underdog when I'm doing the best ball. Uh, Trey Lance is often, like, the last of those guys that I think has a ton of upside that I go after. Let's uh, grab kind of that next tier. And these are guys who don't really have a whole lot of the Konami code. Uh, aspect right now these are mo- uh, you know traditionally known as drop back passers Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers uh who are you preferring at that point in the draft so I don't know if we reached the hot take status on it but uh you know I actually kind of believe I like Carr more uh this is this nice. is what I kind of kind of looked at I mean I just think when you look at from a weapon stance obviously getting Devontae Adams to go with Darren Waller Hunter Renfro and Josh McDaniels like Josh McDaniels like is a different coach than he was when he had his last opportunity to, to be a coach. Not the one he had with the Colts either uh, that, that he kind of left <laughs> in, in the night with. But, I mean, look at the job that he's done the past couple of years and what he had to work with. Two years ago, what he squeezed out of Cam Newton was sensational. And then last year, I don't think people realized that the Patriots were one of just two teams to score in over 50% of their possessions with the Chiefs last year. Wow. Um, cars thrown for over 4,000 yards on each of the past four seasons. And then I think when you're looking at it just from a peripheral stance too, outside of not having better weapons than probably Rodgers has right now, you get more shootout environments with the Raiders. I mean, their defense is way worse than the Packers. They're not in the, in the NFC North. They're going to be in this AFC West arms race. So I think there's just a little more upside 
Rodgers, I think, has been priced kind of accordingly. I don't really have a problem with where he's priced. We've got like these weird splits with Devontae Adams over the past six years. He almost has almost a full season of dropbacks without Devontae Adams on the field, but they're from like sections of a season. Like going like two or three games and performing without Devontae Adams is a lot different than like a full season and like week in and week out and preparing. This is going to be different. And I also would apply this to the Aaron Jones splits you always see too. It's a, it's a lot different situation when we're talking about preparing for a full season without the Adams instead of like one to two weeks and then putting those one to two weeks from four different seasons together and saying, well, look at these splits. Uh, very big difference. And then I think when you go back to Rodgers, like we were not far removed just two years ago where like people were kind of checking in on like the is Rogers kind of overrated? He was the QB 14 in points per game. People were kind of questioning a potential decline with Aaron Rodgers. So I don't think we'll see like a 2019 Tom Brady-esque like drop from Rodgers where like he just isn't that that good of a fantasy option. But I mean, I still think that there's enough peripherals here to say like he's just gonna be like he that pack of like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, like might be a little tighter to him than we've seen, you know, recently. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to skip the fourth one I was going to do because I'm looking at it and I don't like it. So I'm going to go to the fifth one. <laughs> I was just I'm, too long. My answers are too long. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I just don't like it. So I'm going to go to the fifth one. This is what, this is bargain shopping right now. I'm going to talk about bargain shopping. These are guys available at the end of your draft and Superflex are going to go a little higher. These are guys uh, with rookies breathing down their necks. Uh, if you're looking at one of these guys, are you, do you prefer Mitch Trubisky in Pittsburgh or Marcus Mariota in Atlanta? Oh, very easily, Marcus Mariota. Like yeah. one, one. I think we're at the point now where we're questioning if Trubisky is even going to start Week One, where at least we know Mariota is going to start Week One. Now the Falcons definitely aren't going to be good enough as a team to just not see what Desmond Ritter has at some point. They're they're going to be arguably looking at another quarterback in 2023, given to where we expect them to finish. You know, record wise. Uh, they have to at least see what there is in Desmond Ritter. There's no, there's a very low investment. So if he plays well, then you've got a situation maybe like, you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, last year where you can give him a year, see if there's some insulation, you know, to, to, to hit this thing and really catch value lightning in a bottle. Um, but, and also you get a little bit more of that, the Konami, I think you're going to get with Mariota. If you look at what Atlanta's done so far in the preseason, post Matt Ryan, they've given us one major tell. They've run a ton of pistol so far in the in the preseason, which is um, what Mariota has always done best from. So yep, and and, and they've run twenty five uh, first team snaps with with pistol, and only outside of the Ravens, the rest of the leagues only run eight. So they're going to run a lot more QB runs, a lot more QB design stuff. I think it's going to give him a little bit more to circumvent this brutal schedule. The Falcons have that's the other thing with the, not even expecting the Falcons to be good. They have our 31st ranked passing schedule this year. Uh, they play just five pass defenses that were in the back half of pass efficiency and explosive plays allowed. The opening run here, Saints, Rams, Browns, Buccaneers, and Chargers. Like, oh, they plays those teams in the opening nine games. Like, those are no favors, man. Like, record-wise, they could be easily, like, one and set one and seven or something and like they just have to see but uh we don't even know Trissy's gonna start week one so i'm still very much in favor of mariotti between mariota between the two you think you think pickett's a contender for week one i i think he's definitely Im- improved his chances from where we were i mean plus we he's a first round guy where ritter's a third round guy and like historically like th- like the hot seat's just gonna be pressed like the steelers are eventually gonna be in a position to where if they're just not winning games they're going to have to say, like, you took a quarterback in the first round. Like, we're not going to play him. Like, we're not going to look. Like, you, 
listen, man, Uncle Tomlin's not going to – he's going to be getting those questions after the game, and he's he's, he's going to be real tired of that real quick. Trubisky definitely has a short leash. He definitely has one of the, probably the shortest leash. Did you see that play he had last week where he, like, escaped the sack, like, ran in a circle, and then, like, threw it into double coverage. It was almost there. It was, like, the most Trubisky play uh, ever. It was very Chicago. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> he had one of those for Buffalo last year, too. He had one of those uh, just bonehead, crazy Chicago plays. All right, thank you so much for playing my, uh, my Who'd You Rather game. Let's get into our uh, the meat of this episode, the main topic, our Superflex draft strategy. Let's start right at the top. Uh, Josh Allen, not only is he the top quarterback, but in super flex leagues, is he the 1.01? No doubt. That's what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Uh, I know I would, I would bet against the field. So Josh Allen is my QB one and outside of super flex leagues, I would never take him. I would never just never be the first person to to take the the QB one. I would take the field obviously over any quarterback. Uh, You know, he's running into like this, Run where the last time the QB won in ADP was the actual QB one was 2011. Uh, you know, he's also running this run where if he is the actual QB one again for the third straight year in a row, it'll be for the first time since Brett Favre in the mid 90s did it. Uh, you know, so he he's going against some history here, um, but he just offers the most like kind of best of both worlds. He's going to have Boku passing numbers, their aggressive pass offense, and he's got the the rushing kind of acumen. And he's basically almost like their de facto kind of goal line back. I mean, he's really kind of like the most fun player. He's one of the most fun players in the NFL, I think, at this point. He's he's got the size of Cam Newton. He's got like the arm of John Elway. And he like has like the like hair on fire moments of like kind of like how Favre was, where like he does a play and you're like, what the hell is that? Like, and then he makes a play and you're like, oh yeah, we just you could do that. So uh, yeah, I think he's the one on one in those formats. And in Superflex, like, are you, are you, is it those top three, four, five quarterbacks? Is those the top five picks? I mean, is that, is that the way it should go in Superflex or can you kind of deviate from that? Uh, I think you could if you want. Uh, but yeah, I think you're going to see those guys pretty much fly off. I would if, if I'm in the front, because if I'm in the front of a Superflex draft, say, like, let's say one through five, like you said. Or we can even say one through six because I named my top six, you know, tier of what I believe is like the, the first mini tier of the the position. Uh, you run the risk of just not having a QB one on the way back, and uh, we're going to get into why that's in, like shifted and is important now. Okay, yeah. So, um, so I see that. That's what I see when I'm in my superflex drafts. I saw that in the superflex puppy that came out on Underdog, and uh, all my superflex drafts that I join every year because, like I said, that's kind of my favorite format. Now, um, I see the quarterbacks fly. Where I don't know what to do is when I'm picking eight through twelve, and I'm looking at the elite running backs and the top-notch receivers, and like my eighth-ranked quarterback, and I don't know what to do, and so I start entertaining the idea of playing quarterback chicken uh but then you get started down that path and you don't know where to go is that a viable can you play quarterback chicken in a super flex league uh in a sense so i I posted an article on this a few weeks ago you know just looking at your quarterback adp trends and you know trends at the position all the positions in general because i like to have a cadence where i start top down right want to see where where the league is and then get into player stuff um, and I've brought this up a few times over the course of the offseason, but these last two years, there's been a just seismic shift into how we've set the market at the quarter, quarterback position. Now, we've either gotten really efficient at it or really lucky, but if you look at like relationship of ADP 
to quarterback points per game. Uh, basically, the past two seasons have been 58% and 50% of all fantasy output can be just solely correlated to points per game or, or, or correlated to ADP. Uh, where we set the market position in the previous decade, it was just 21%. Like that's just a, a wow, that's difference. shocking. Yeah, just the insane difference. And, you know, we have gamers now kind of focusing on elevating the quarterbacks that we've talked about, the guys that offer not just the running ability, but now these guys also offer passing ability, like the Josh Allens. Like it used to be like, all right, well, like Taysom Hill used to be like the version of like the old Konami code, right? Uh, like Jalen Hurts was an extension at last. You're like a guy that's going to give you a high floor. The rushing's weighted. Uh, doesn't matter if he's a good passer. But now what's happened over the past like half decade is you're getting these guys that are running for 500 plus yards and then throwing 40 touchdown passes and can throw for 4,000 yards. And it just like opened up the, the door. Um, you know, but in, into 20, 2021 last year, we had just two quarterbacks that were QB ones and points per game that were selected outside of the top 12. Joe Burrow was the QB 13. Uh, and then Kirk Cousins in 2018. There were just three the year before that. Uh, from a weekly stance, top 12 quarterbacks in ADP combined to account for 52% of all QB1 scoring weeks. They accounted for 65% of all top six scoring weeks on the season. They combined for 80% of all top three scoring weeks. And they and 16 of the 18 high scorers on a weekly level were guys that were drafted as QB1s as well. Wow. So we've just become really hyper-efficient. And, and that's not just a one-year thing. I have an art in the article showing the rates for the last decade, and you can go back and see just how like this has changed and how accurate we've been at setting the market, the position. Like I said, maybe, it's, maybe there's some luck involved and we'll have some regression here. But also part of it is just that you see that gamers definitely are valuing the proper things now at the quarter position. You look at a year like last year, like and, and Brady's age uh, is definitely plays a little bit of a role, but like, like Brady led the league in every passing category by a mile and like gamers even waver this year. They didn't even blink. He goes at like QB nine, QB 10, like almost in every draft. Uh, like, you know, that stuff wouldn't have happened, you know, in, in like, you know, my heyday of when like the guys like Drew Brees and Peyton Manning were just operating the, the level of the position uh, didn't matter. But like now gamers know what to focus on. I wonder if health is a factor there because quarterbacks don't seem to get hurt as often as they used mm -hmm. to, at least. Uh, I, and I don't have numbers to back that up. And what's funny is that, that pocket passers get hurt more than the mobile guys, which yeah. is inverse <laughs> to what people think. And, you know, guys like Edwin Porter has done a good job of like displaying this. It's because, you know, mobile quarterbacks are typically there's a preparation for the hit and the tackle you're taking. Where they know how to get hit. A lot of these quarterbacks that you see, these pocket passers are getting hit the blindsided or have a guy rolling into them and stuff like while they're in the pocket. And that's where the more of the quarterback injuries come from. Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting to see. I, I know uh, that that's got to be a factor that that we're drafting guys at, at the quarterback position that then play a full season. That has to be a factor because if they're good and if we're doing our right process, we should be able to spot those types of things. Uh, so, OK, so. That's why it's really important to get a QB1, a good starting QB1. You've kind of gone into that. Uh, how many, uh, like how soon should you be focusing on getting that QB2 then in that situation in a Superflex League? What I think matters is something you kind of touched upon is, is where are you looking at like the tier breaks at the QB position and how that relates to the other now skill positions when we're past, like, say, like that QB six tier. Uh, and what I even would say even a little bit past beyond that. So, like, when you say, like, you're forcing, like, a, a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr that to a level of guys over front and wide receivers and running backs just because things thin out and you want that QB two. I think we see those guys tend to get a little bit 
overdrafted. Uh, they don't have the ceiling of some of the other guys. So you're not getting that positional leverage now. And then you just have more positional leverage with some of the other players available at other positions. I think the best place to go quarterback, quarterback is like kind of the back half still uh, of those draft okay. slots. Um because that's kind of still your leverage point because you still have potential to get two top 12 guys. Now, I, now I, there's always nuance here. See how your room is actually treating the position. Um, but that's typically a spot where you can get like potentially a, a Kyler plus a Burrow or a Kyler plus a Stafford, right? Like uh, in that area of like where you're picking like pick seven through 12. Um, but like you don't want to be the guy like taking Matt Ryan or like over like an actual like wide receiver one. Um and then you don't want to be the team that just because you took Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, you don't want to force those guys like over like really good skill players because I've played a lot of Superflex this year, like you have. And in round three, I mean, you could typically like in, if you went quarterback, quarterback in the back half, you're still ending up with guys like Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Najee or Mixon, uh, and then a wide receiver guys like Tyreek, the Debo, T. Higgins tier still available the back half of the third round. Um, wow. So that's why I think it's still optimal to get those two QB ones. Like we talk about why those QB ones if you can get them. Uh, and then you come back and you can start there, but don't force that QB two if you're in the front half. Uh, you know, I think it just, it's always a relation to where the other positions are. Well, you've, you've sold me in my home league. That's a two quarterback league. I'm going Dak Kyler at the end. That's what I'm doing now. That's Kyler and Dak. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, you've sold me on this, Rich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dubkey, what's the point disparity between average QB one and average QB two? I don't know, like four points per game. Is that about right? Uh, so the, like from a positional leverage stance, you know, I haven't, so that's the thing, like even Josh Allen, we, we didn't really get into this with Josh Allen, but you know, you had, you still had as great as he was leading the position for the second straight year, Justin Herbert still produced 95% of the points that Josh Allen produced. Tom Brady still produced uh 93% of the points. So like from a leverage standpoint, like the QB one still doesn't have as much on the field. Uh, but he does from like the QB 12 stance now, like that gap has started to widen where, like I said, it used to be when we go later round quarterback and you described it as QB chicken, uh, that gap has gotten larger now to where like, you know, you know, that there's like a tier, like there's like, like a more of a, a gap here where we weren't able to arbitrage what the, the front end of these quarterbacks are doing. These archetypes of quarterbacks that have the, the dual threat ability, and it's created a little bit more of a gap there, which is what's given them, uh, you know, a little bit more importance here recently. Like I said, maybe it's just a two-year sample, right? And we're we're we're, we're off base, and it's gonna this late round quarterback is gonna come roaring back. But I do think part of it is definitely inherently cooked in that just fantasy people know what to look at now at the quarterback position too as well. No, it makes perfect sense. Uh, let's let's go uh, favorite targets outside of the elite six that you brought up, right? You've got your six tier. Uh, those guys are all gone. You're picking at the back end of that draft. Uh, who is somebody that you really like in that next tier of quarterback? Well, definitely Ross, who we opened the show with. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely love Ross. Uh, I'm I'm good with Dak. Uh, the like the Dak Staffords at the end. Uh, you know, I doubt Brady just falls off, but although. I do think there's a lot more fragility to this Tampa Bay situation Me too. Than, than there has been. And also like they're not going to given everything that's happened to the bucks to just expect them to throw it 700 times again, seems like not like the strongest bet to make offensive line has now lost three starters. Uh, we don't know exactly where the receiving core is going to be from a health perspective in week one. They did draft another running back. They lose Gronk uh, like, 
there's a whole lot of like things in the air here to start the season that kind of weren't there like at the start of last year the, that uh, interior <laughs> o-line like those those injuries i mean they're missing their entire interior o-line from mm-hmm. last year i'm i'm concerned like that's how you beat brady right as you get pressure on the inside and if if you could do that i'm not saying brady's not going to be good but right the level of what he was last year i'm kind of with you there yeah, um, so if we get past those guys, and we talked about Carr, uh, Justin Fields is another one of those guys. Like, just he's he's kind of frozen out because he can't hurdle like anyone else, right? The Bears situation is just not allowing him. Like, and like I said, the quarterbacks are just too dense at the top. Like, this is the biggest thing. Like my my pro Derek Carr argument I said, or if you want to be pro Tua, like how do you leap? How do you push them up? Like in rankings and stuff. Like who do you move down? Like. All these guys, it, it's like I said, it's just so dense at the top. But you know, Fields is another one of those guys that has like if it comes together, he offers you that rushing. And how bad can the situation be compared to last year? The last five starts Justin Fields made last year, he was a QB one and four of them, and the one he wasn't, he left the game at halftime. I don't think he was going to get there that game anyways. He was dreadful that first half against the Ravens, anyways. Um, but you know, he is one of those guys like when we talk about what do we look for. If he would have a better passing season than people are accounting for, he's going to look really good then by the end of the season. Kirk Cousins. I think later on, you know, I like, I still like into Jameis uh, a little bit. And then, you know, uh, like probably guys like when we get to like the Mac Jones level, but uh, that's kind of where we're going. Excellent. What do you think of Burrow in that section right there? Because as somebody who rostered Burrow in a lot of two quarterback leagues last year, it was very frustrating in redraft uh, until, of course, the last two weeks of the season. But uh, are you are you buying Burrow as being a little more consistent to being worth uh, the draft capital that you have to invest in him this year? No, and I don't know why his his ADP is a little aggressive for me. And I think partially it's because of the stacking, you know, where Jamar Chase and T. Higgins go and stacking's been at the forefront of now fantasy gaming like the last couple of years with best ball growing. And I think that's driving Burrow up a little bit is because, you know, the chase, the chase gamer, uh, the person that grabbed T. Higgins, like they want to grab Burrow. Uh, you know, inherently, you know, protect that like early round receiver. Um, but you kind of talked about Burrow being really frustrating. I mean, you look last week, he had just three weeks where he finished higher than the QB eight last year. Uh, he had seven weeks where he was the QB 16 or lower. And this is in a season where he led the NFL in completion percentage and yards for pass attempt. Uh, first quarterback to do that since 2017. He had a six and a half percent touchdown rate. He also oh, wow. had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. He's now trading that. For our 32nd ranked schedule, now this is stuff that when we're talking about strength of schedule, like we're not like leading off with this on a guy like Burrow that's got Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, but we saw this in the playoffs too. Like when they faced good opponents, like Burrow wasn't exactly lighting it up, you know, in the postseason in terms of like stacking fantasy points in production. Offensive line upgrades are there, but uh, they have an absolutely like miserable, like kind of passing outlook in that back half of the season, which is going to have a lot of fluidity looks really rough, man. It, it, it's really tough when you look at it. I mean, weeks 14 through 18, like the stretch run of the season, Browns, Buccaneers, Patriots, Bills, Ravens, like that's potentially be one of the most daunting stretches a team can face. Also, I don't know if I really trust Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor <laughs> is a guy that I believe that the talent overcame Zach Taylor a lot last year. Uh, I think when you look at like his early down aggressiveness, uh, what he likes to do offensively in terms of, you know, how he calls games, their pace of play is one of the worst in the NFL. I noticed that it's, I, it's, it's shocking with those talent. With the I, talent like he's the that. opposite of Brandon Staley, right? Like where we talk about <laughs> Herbert, like, it, like I'm not going to like just draft Herbert because he has Brandon Staley. But like when I get to like breaking ties by like the eighth or ninth tiebreaker, I'm like, you know, what? I'm really grateful that Herbert has Br- Brandon Staley. 
Sure. Like, you know, but then when I get to this point on Burrow, I'm like, man, Zach Taylor's kind of like, he's not like, is he, is he really that sharp of a dude? Like, uh, so I don't know. There's a, a lot of factors that are into it, but I think Burrow is just getting pushed up. I think legitimately for, I think the stacking is what's pushing him up. I might be wrong on that. Maybe people think he's just going to be Joe Montana. It uh, sounds like Dave Gladstone agrees with us uh, on this, that there's a, a little bit of uh, too much love going on with Joe Burrow right now. Uh, I wanted to ask you, in Superflex Leagues, uh, obviously you want to get three starting quarterbacks. Uh, do you try to jump on getting four or five, or do you just try to be really happy with your three? Uh, I like to play it as the draft goes. I'll draft this, you know, uh, I'll keep drafting them because they're just currency, right? Like we've all played in these dynasty leagues. I mean, you can, there's no limit to how many like good quarterbacks you, you can have or usable quarterbacks because when you get into the nuts and bolts of these seasons, and I know, uh, you know, Sal behind the scenes has done some work on this. The number of, look at the number of guys who make a start at quarterback per season. We're, we're like the last decade, we're approaching almost 60 quarterbacks a year that are going to start a game. And those are guys that have value in these formats. They just do the way the position scored and how it's used. I mean, you can never have enough guys because you don't know what's going to happen to your own guys. And then just having guys to be able to, to trade and deal to the things happen to these other players. So definitely you always want to at least get two. We got to have two. You don't want to be that team that's just like trying to like, you've got one and then now you're standing, you, you played the QB chicken and you're staring down the gun barrel and you're like, well, shit, I, I took Trubisky, now he might be benched at week four, and now he might not even have a quarterback after week four, or he got, you know, so, you know, I always look at, want to get those two, uh, then we try to circle back, the guys that hang around, I mean, I, I always try to get like like Jameis, like guys like Mac Jones, Tannehill, the guys have a lower risk level, they're not exciting, but they have a low level of being benched, right, like they're going to play, maybe, I, I even think you can include Jared Goff with this tier, do you want yep, it, are I agree. you excited to draft Jared Goff? No, but... <laughs> He's probably not going to get benched like on any at any level. So like those, that's what's tough when you start getting into like your, your where you're taking like these guys on your bench, uh, like a Daniel Jones for example. Like I I'm intrigued by Daniel Jones with Brian Dayball on the upside, but like there's no guarantee that dude starts the whole season. Yeah, like at all. Like they're not tied to him if he plays the way he's played the past two years over the first seven or eight weeks. What's to stop them from playing Tyrod Taylor? Like. They're, they're, they're like, so like you're going to have, so if you take Daniel Jones, that means you're going to have to take another quarterback, right? Cause you can't count on him. So like, you're like the more guys you take with fragility, the more you have to keep adding on. It's almost like when you do the hero, the hero RB approach, like you have to, you have to buckshot those guys throughout the position. And that's how you will have to do your, your quarterback bench. Uh, so I try to avoid as many of those guys as possible, but I will take some late swings on a guy like, you know, Mariota and definitely the rookies. Cause no one wants to touch them because I believe they're all, uh, at least Ritter and Pickett are going to play in 2021. Uh, I, I did this uh, last night. Just a, a quick yes or no answer. Daniel Jones starting quarterback anywhere in 2023. I'll say no. I think he'll have to go the Trubisky Tannehill route. Like he'll have to recoup. I think. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, Jen and Chris are my uh, co-hosts on team app from Monday nights. They agree with you. Uh, okay. Let's see. Let's go late round targets. Let's do some late round targets. Then we're going to get into uh, the quarterback situations with the levels of questions, the flux, which uh, we're getting a couple questions there with Tannehill and uh, Drew Locke and guys like that. We'll talk about those guys here in a minute, but uh, late round targets, like guys that well, first off, what is a late round target in Superflex? Because in one quarterback leagues, that's the last round of the draft, right? But in a Superflex league, a round where is, is a late round target. And then, um, you know, who are you targeting as someone who you think could be a QB1 or could kind of go into that territory of being a usable starter for you? 
Yeah, I mean, we don't even have to look at it from just like a super flex stance. We can look at it from a top-down stance still. So, I mean, uh, you know, just 21.6% uh, of all quarterbacks taken after QB 18 uh, since 2010 have produced a QB 1 season. Just 9.7 of those have produced a top 6 season, 2.8% of top 3 season. The odds that you're going to get someone at that level to break the position and to be like a contender, like to the threat and being a high scorer, like Gibraltar that you're going to set and forget, very low. Uh, very low at that point. So like typically, like I said, if you don't get your QB2 by that point, and I would consider that cutoff, that tier of guys we frequently have talked about, like probably like the, the two uh, Trevor Lawrence pushing it like area. Like if you don't get your QB2 by then, then you've really got to take like two of these guys that we talked about that might not be appealing, like a golf plus a map, right? Then sure. you can just try to cobble it together. Jameis is probably the one guy, like I think legitimately has a little bit more ceiling in that area. Uh, but that's kind of how you have to play it, right? Like that that's kind of the, the firewall to where you know, like, all right, well, I'm going to have to maybe go back to back QBs here in the mid to late rounds um, for that as well. So, uh, yeah, th that's kind of true for in the QB 18 and Superflex League. Like you're looking at what, like round four or five? Like that's kind of where it is. Like where you see Matt Ryan go off the board, like it comes quick in those formats. Matt Ryan does seem to be the inflection point. Like when Ryan goes, everybody just scrambles. Like, oh, shoot, Matt Ryan just went. I got to get Tua now. <laughs> yep. Uh, so it sounds like Tua and uh, and uh, Trevor Lawrence is kind of your breaking point there. At that point, you're you're starting to feel like you need to double up, which makes sense to me. Uh, so we talked about Marcus Mariota a little bit. Let's talk. Let's go into these, these situations where the quarterback situation is in flux. Uh, first off, let, let's start with Atlanta. We're going to talk uh, a couple of these other teams as well. Uh, first off, would you draft both quarterbacks in any kind of a situation here? And then, uh, you know, number two with Atlanta, where are you looking at Ritter? Is it only in the situations where you're not settled with two quarterbacks or would you kind of take a gamble on him anyway? Uh, yeah, I would take a gamble on him anyway, where, where he goes in these, in these super flex leagues that I've done so far this off season. Like, why not? Like it's pretty this, late. Yeah. Cause he's going at like where the receivers and like running backs, he's going around too. like, like there's no there's no opportunity cost like really at all even with Mariota and Trubisky like there's not a lot of opportunity cost where I've seen those kind of guys go off the board uh in terms of drafts as well as well you're talking about like the receivers that they're going around like the KJ Osborne types like I'm fine with that but like you're in this type of format like the quarterback still wins out like you're gonna you're gonna use a Marcus Mariota even a limited sample of games a lot more than you are a KJ Osborne type like you just are um but yeah, I mean, I would expect Ritter to start just for the reasons I laid out. Like, it, it's really hard to see just from like a, a team win perspective, and that's the only way to keep these guys off the field, right? Is if like you're competing for something and like they're winning more games than they should, and because if not, then they're just going to be in a position where they have to look at a Desmond Ritter, um, and then Kenny Pickett's going to play, I think, regardless because he's a first round pick, and those guys just don't sit. Look at the first round picks that have sat. Uh, you know, we taught had. Trey Lance last year, and why did he sit? The 49ers made the NFC Championship game. They were never pressed to play him. Uh, mm -hmm. And Patrick Mahomes, same thing. Now, you can make an argument that maybe if those other two guys played, those teams go to the Super Bowl those years, but there's a reason why. They're, <laughs> they're, those coaches' feet were never to the fire to put those guys because they could look everyone in the eyes and say, look at look at our record. Like Look what we're doing. Not do we believe Atlanta's gonna be in that position where we're sitting there like week nine and like they're like six and three and Arthur Smith's like 
my hand, I nailed this one, didn't I? Like, <laughs> seems seems probably not going to happen, right? And that's the same thing when you look at the Seattle guys. Like, are they going to be good enough to where, like, whoever wins that job, the other guy just still doesn't end up playing? Yeah, let's probably, talk about Seattle. Let's, let's talk about not, that. Probably not, right? Like, there's, <laughs> there's, like, probably not. It's probably not going to happen. Um, and when you, especially when you look at, like, the schedules for those teams. Like, I already talked about Atlanta's schedule. And Seattle's another one of those teams. Like, it's, it's just such a rough ride, like, record-wise, to, to, to convince yourself to say, like, they're not – they're just going to play one guy. I don't, there's just no way it's going to happen, man. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, no one wants to really play either of the Seattle guys anyways. Uh, like locks been so bad. And <laughs> I, I mean, he, since he's entered the NFL 33rd in EPA per drop back 36th in completion rate, 30th in yards for pass attempt, 34th in touchdown rate, 31st in interception rate. It's just rough, man. Like there's just nothing to be excited about. The thing I respect about Drew Locke, is that he is one of the highest like deep ball percentages of the NFL and one of the worst like deep ball accuracies. So like he doesn't care. Like he's just like you know. Oh, my, he's a chucker. My guy is winging it. He he knows it's not a strength of his game, but he's just gonna he's hell bent to press it. Uh, you know, it, at least he's got some guys that that garner some some downfield looks, but he had that too as well. Gino was at least like okay ish when he played last year. He was what the QB twenty four, the QB nineteen, and the QB seven again that Jags game uh, in his three starts. So Gino is like one of those guys, like probably not going to have give you a lot of those QB seven performances, but maybe like a low end floor QB two while he's playing. Uh, lock more of the wild card could get you negative points. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had some of these guys like if you play in any of those leagues that score like the fishbowl or something like that, like you understand like how some of these guys are like, even in those types of formats, like why the firewall starts that early. Like we said, the drop off. Cause man, starting, I started Trevor Lawrence in the fishbowl last year. He was like my QB two, And Oh man, my dude got me like so many bad games. <laughs> like negative yeah, I, scoring. I, I had Justin Fields got a lot of negative scoring. I, I, I lost a matchup to somebody who didn't start a quarterback. <laughs> Because I had Justin Fields, he had negative points that week. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> rough, man. Real rough. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we talked Seattle. I want to talk Tennessee a little bit. Like, obviously, Ryan Tannehill is going to start the season, right? Uh, but if Tennessee struggles in what should be an improved division and in a really tough conference, uh, you know, they've got a lot of millions of reasons to cut him next year. Is there a chance we see Malik Willis sometime midseason if Tennessee starts to disappoint? It's definitely non-zero. I have taken Willis with my Mr. Irrelevant Superflex pick in like a number of deeper leagues where they were talking like 18, 18 20 rounds. Um, just because why the hell not? If something were to happen like in the next couple weeks, right? Like maybe starts. I will say the one dude that's going to like, that's really going to ram his head in it. We've already seen an example of it in these opening two weeks of the preseason. If anyone's going to be reluctant to like really kind of go with a Malik Willis guy, it's going to be Brable. Like Vrabel, like you said, he, I mean, he benched Willis the opening drive of the first preseason game because he ran when he thought he had a guy open. And then the very first play, the very first play when Logan Woodside came in, he did the same exact damn thing. It's same exact thing. And, you know, like Vrabel is one of these guys, like, listen, I can't knock out. The results have been there. The process has been very questionable from the outside looking down. Sure. But yeah. The, but the results, like, Brable's getting results like, the, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so God bless him, but he, 
I feel like he's one of these guys, like he's going to be real, real reluctant to play some Malik Willis uh, unless he absolutely has to as a rookie. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm taking a couple of nibbles as my wrist are relevant to just see if like something happens. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Same with like the Desmond Ritter uh, bet. Although I agree with you, there's a bigger chance that Ritter sees the field. Let's talk. There's a there's a couple quarterbacks that probably aren't going to start the year. We don't know for sure the Jets situation, what Zach Wilson's injury is going to be. Um, let's start with the Jets. Zach Wilson, kind of a questionable guy to bank on anyway, especially in redraft formats. Uh, now he's hurt. He may or may not be ready for the start of the season. If not, it sounds like it's going to be Joe Flacco. How are you approaching the Jets quarterback position in Superflex leagues? I mean, just not taking them. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I if I don't have to. So another one of these teams, like especially when we're getting into these tiebreakers, you talked about just like not being able to trust Zach Wilson. I mean, the Jets' outlook is absolutely miserable. Is that it? like it, I like it, we're at that season? Like, are you look? Have you looked at the Jets? Oh, like this is who the Ooh, Jets play it looks before rough. Before the Jets buy, they play the Ravens, the Browns, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Packers, the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Bills. Ooh. Like, what the hell are we going to get out of that? Like, what are we mm. squeezing out of that? I will say the fantasy playoffs. They play Lions, Jags, Seahawks. So there is like an element of you stashed. Like what, like Zach will said at that point, he comes to life. But like that opening nine weeks looks like an absolute nightmare for a guy we already don't like. We kind of don't trust. We're intrigued by the weapons. We're intrigued by the investment they put around him. We're definitely intrigued by his arm talent, and he can run a little bit. But like, holy moly! Like, who has a tougher nine weeks to open the season than that? It's, it's that's just brutal, just brutal. That Dolphins defense and that Pats defense, Bills defense, those could be three really, really, really good defenses this year. That's yeah, gonna Broncos be too. And you're talking Ooh. about on the road, Packers are gonna be a great defense this year. Yeah, uh, it's bad, it's bad all around. Oof. Uh, <laughs> CCS DVS one asks about your C hat. Uh, Rich, could you tell us about your C hat where people can get it? Uh, I mean, you can find them online. These are uh, these are uh, these are Cleveland Indians hats. Oh, uh, you oh know, okay. but they're the guardians. Not the guardians. Too. Not the guardians. Uh, yeah, they're not. Well, the guard C is a little different, but you okay. know, um, I, I have these. I'm not a huge baseball guy, but uh, you know, I have them just because they represent kind of the area where I'm from. Uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm like 20 minutes west of Cleveland, so I have the Black Sea. Uh, I frequently have them to where they, they match my shirt because I'm old and, and going bald. Uh, so we do a lot of hats these days in our 40s. Uh, oh, me too, but, man. Yeah. Uh, so block, the Black Sea is typically part of my brand. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So are you a Browns fan too? I don't think Oh, I no, that. absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always taken – I never grew up a Browns fan either. Uh, you know, my – my I grew up in a house where my dad wasn't a big football fan, so I never had it pushed on me to like, oh, this is the Browns house. Uh, so I never like had it instilled in me like I grew up with this team, you follow it. So I was never into them. And then when I got into the fantasy space, uh, it was just really hard to maintain any level of fandom, man. Right. Uh, but being exposed to all the fan bases at once is not good for your health because it's like an internal look in the mirror. And I don't want to take away everything. If you get a lot of uh, being a fan, I don't want to say it's wrong if you are a fan. But there was a lot of times where people were tweeting me and their responses and stuff where it was like a really inflection. It's like, you know, am I am I like that? Like, am yeah. I like that? And it was kind of like, I will pull back on this a little bit. Um, and then plus two, like, it's my job to analyze football. I put a lot of hours into this and two. And there's nothing worse than when some dude or like gamer tells me like, I watched this. I watched the Seahawks. You don't know, like, dude. I watched every play of the Seahawks game three times. I could tell you easily too, <laughs> just because you're a Seahawks fan, like. 
I, I still know what I'm talking about largely. Like, not, like, you know, so. Also, you got to know your bias, right? Like, I know <laughs> as a basketball, if you were talking to me about basketball, I'm pretty good with football. But, like, bas- if, you, if you were talking to me about basketball, you can't listen to a word I say about Damian Lillard, right? It's, it's <laughs> There's not a single thing. And same with baseball. Like, Ken Griffey Jr., I cannot have a reasonable discussion about Ken Griffey Jr. I'm too much of a fan. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, let's talk Browns real quick. I want to talk about that situation because there's there's something where you've got Deshaun Watson, who is probably uh, QB1 for the end of the season, probably. Uh, you know, the last we saw of him, he was phenomenal on the field, uh, but he's not going to play until probably week 12. And then we've got Jacoby Brissett, who the last time we saw him play in Miami, he was not a viable fantasy uh, football player. So how are you approaching the Cleveland Browns situation in, in uh, Superflex formats? Yeah, I mean, you look at even Baker Mayfield and, you know, the the level of talent he is compared to Jacoby Brissett, and he could just never hit for us. Like, I mean, he has – he had 16 QB1 starts and almost 60 starts with the Browns. Uh, really hard to say Jacoby Brissett's just going to walk into that same situation with arguably worse receivers uh, and just be, like, a good fantasy asset. I mean, I, I do think that, like, as a caretaker and, like, manager of, like, the game – and the, given who the Browns play, like they could actually be okay still record-wise. They're going to play a lot of ugly football probably, but like their defense is awesome. The offensive line is awesome. They can run the football. If Jacoby Brissett protects the football, like they could win a lot more games than probably people give them credit for. They aren't going to be pretty, but for fantasy, it's really tough, man, outside of just saying he's like even like a, a fringe flex, like an even super flex, right? Like he's probably one of those borderline guys that's very back endy QB two. He does run a little bit, uh, very little, uh, especially near the goal line. So you can run into a little bit with him. Um, uh, Mer- the Watson stuff's very interesting because I think he's only even entertainable in super flex leagues. The one quarterback leagues, like yeah, you can't draft him. A guy missing eleven games, like you have to have the deepest rosters in the world to hold the quarterback. Yeah. On you your need bench. at least twenty roster spots <laughs> for that. Yeah, uh, to absolutely. have a quarterback eat a roster spot for eleven weeks plus, uh, you know, plus a buy, right? Like, uh, so he he comes back and you get that Houston matchup. But man, we're going to be going almost two full seasons without seeing Deshaun Watson play football, and he plays Houston, but then they play the Bengals, the Ravens, the Saints, and the Commanders. The rest of the fantasy stretch for the playoffs, like that's not exactly the greatest outlook. It's not like he, he comes back and he's just going to run into all this stuff. Now that I said that things like that are more fluid when we're looking that far down the pipeline of the fantasy season, all those seems to be terrible by the time we get there. But I mean, it's not like, I'm not really like excited that to, to roster Sean Watson in any league because of the amount of time missed the roster. I value roster spots, even in these leagues. And you're just having a guy for the core stretch of the season. You're talking about the entire fantasy regular season just just sitting there unless you're in a league that allows suspended players to go on ir and some do um and if they do then that definitely alleviates a little bit but if he's just eating one of my bench roster spots it's tough man i mean you're talking about not being able to play a guy a week till till week 13 and it's just really hard to hold the guy like that uh if it was six games i think the conversation would be a lot different in these two qb i think he'd be a real focal point like we'd have a real conversation on our hands if he if it was the six games uh, because of the replacement value, because you were probably going to get a QB three earlier, right? And like the bridge of the gap was shorter, but you're talking about the entire fantasy regular season. 
Uh, I'm gonna. Can I throw something at you that's not on the show sheet that I sent yeah, you? Yeah, sure, man. It's, and it's very personal. All right. So I have a league where the scoring is very interesting, and the scoring negates Konami code. Right. It's um. Yep, basically, yep. passing yards are worth the same as rushing yards in this league. So, uh, the way scoring went last year, uh, Mahomes, Herbert, Allen are still very valuable. But the guys like Lamar and Hertz and things like that are less valuable. So I don't know who my QB4 is in that league. I'm having a hard time with that. So who would you target in a league that negates Konami? Code? I'm putting you on the spot here. So yeah, feel so free I get to this tell question a lot, away. right? Oh, so you do? I get this. Well, and especially being, you know, not just for the brand purposes, but, you know, having, you know, a subscription-based site. And people ask me, you know, this, so six-point passing touchdowns is not enough to do it. So six point passing touchdowns, and I've written articles on this. I think JJ Zacharyson's written articles on this too. It's not enough to eliminate the the Konami. Now, what it can do is lower the kind of the the floor ability, the the floor ability of like the the guys that like hurts like last year, right? Um, And like definitely like Taysom Hill or like Justin Fields. But the guys that can do can pass and run, it just makes those guys even better. Like the guys like Josh, it just gives Josh Allen an extra advantage. Kyler Murray, an extra advantage used to be Deshaun Watson. Like it makes those guys better. The only way to do it. And I did it 10 years ago when I offered potential solutions. If anyone had a real problem with this was the same way is that you had to make rushing yards, the same as passing yards. And that's what this one does. That's what this league does. You had to make all yardage the same with yardage and touchdowns equal, equal footing. You had to make that all the same to kind of balance everything out. Uh, or to have a league like Scott Fish's where, like, you're penalizing incompletions and turnovers yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of teams don't want to go – a lot of leagues don't go that that far down the rabbit hole. But if you just want to just do a brass tax, you just make all yardage and touchdowns the same everywhere. But six-point passing touchdowns is enough to, like, move you off of, like, saying, all right, well, maybe Trey Lance doesn't have that kind of upside in this league. But it still just makes the elite guys that run and pass even better. It still separates them. So you're not getting rid of it. Excellent. Excellent. No, I appreciate it, Rich. Uh, That's all I've got for this episode. We're kind of running low on time. I don't want to keep you too long. Thank you so much for joining me uh, tonight. I appreciate the opportunity to get to chat with you. Uh, Any final thoughts or plugs before I let you go? I mean, listen to sharpfootballanalysis.com. I've got easily over 50 free articles on the site. If, if you don't have a subscription, you can check out a lot of my thoughts on that. Uh, we are more into like the draft guide, like where I'm like hands-on with like everybody on the team. Uh, I'll be doing some chats this week with subs, uh, doing stuff like that. And other than that, like I'm looking forward to just getting to the season. I think my true value as an analyst uh, is him having an edge is the stuff that I do like with the worksheet and stuff like that, being ahead of kind of the the trends that are ongoing in season and recalibrating in a sense uh like we're been talking about this stuff for eight months man and guess what it's not all gonna get thrown out the window in two weeks but like you better start to come off your priors and work with what's going on in the league uh that's good advice good advice don't don't marry yourself to stuff you said in june (laughs) but uh yeah everybody go uh go check out rich uh, check out all his stuff at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Uh, don't forget su- to subscribe to this podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for checking us out. Have a good day. <laughs>